Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hell. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of scripture and theology. At the moment, we're working our way through the book of Galatians. We're up to chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, which is an incredible section where Paul is working through the relationship of the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants in order to help us understand the gracious, promissory nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not something that we attain by our law-keeping, but it is something that is given to us as a gift based on God's gracious promise. Yesterday we looked at verses 15 through 18. I'm going to read this whole section again and we'll continue this morning just looking at two verses, uh, 19 and 20, where Paul asks a rather pertinent question. So let me pray for us and then I will read the passage and we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the clarity with which the gospel is announced in scripture. And we confess that we often miss that clarity. We often miss the simplicity of the gospel. We often miss your grace, not because of a lack of clarity and revelation, but because we are so given to justifying ourselves that we think surely this must be what it's about. So help us, we ask by your spirit to read your word well, that we might believe the gospel and rest in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So so then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Well, yesterday we looked at the beginning of this section where Paul reminds us simply of how covenants work, that the later covenant doesn't utterly, uh, totally undo the previous covenant, but rather the, the promise of the former covenant still stands. It's not undone. It's not annulled. Once it has been ratified, it stands. So the promises of God have not been made void. Well, all of this then raises a very 
pertinent and frankly quite fair couple of questions. We, we read two of these questions in verse 19 and verse 21. He asks first, rhetorically, why then the law? In 21, after giving an answer, he asks another question. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? These are both very valid, pertinent, fair questions that need to be asked. If the law isn't the new way to approach God, if the law isn't how we now get to God, if that's not why it was given, then why on earth was it given? This is a good question to ask. We we need to, to understand what is the function of the law? Certainly, God gave it for a particular function. Paul is positing that it's not given for our justification, so then why? And he tells us it was added because of transgression. Until the offspring should come to whom the promises had been made. Now, we see this same idea in other places that, that what the law does is shuts us up in our sin. What the law does is, is holds up this mirror before us, showing us our need for a Savior, showing us our need for God to be as he is, for him to be gracious, for him to be merciful toward us. We've talked about this earlier in chapter 3, that what we need is for God to be merciful to us because the law has shown us to be sinners. And if we don't let the law do that, then we're trying to make the law do something that it simply wasn't designed to do. God gave the law, and we talk about in Reformed theology different functions of the law. We talk about this, this function that's mentioned here to show sin. We also talk about the function of of restraining sin. And we talk about the the third use of the law of of a rule for holy living. We we talk about these realities that the law was given for these. The reality that we don't talk about is the law being given for our justification because that's not why the Bible says it was given. It was given even for a specific time, Paul tells us until the offspring should come to who the promise had been made. Now, who is this offspring? The offspring we read yesterday is Christ. Going back to verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is why when we talk about the law and its continued use, we we do see a change in how the law is used. Because Christ has come. So so the ceremonial law and all the sacrifices and and the festivals and all of these pieces of the law, the the cleanliness laws and, and all of this that point forward to Jesus and typify him, foreshadow his coming, show us what it is that he's going to do through these types and shadows that are offered year after year when Christ comes and the final sacrifice is made, there's no need for continued sacrifices. When Christ comes and and, and fulfills the Sabbath, when Christ comes and, and is the fulfillment of the festivals, the one to whom all of this pointed, well, then we should expect a change. 
Brian Estelle, a, a great Old Testament uh, theologian, uh, talks about planned obsolescence, much like our uh, technology is designed to be used for a certain time, and then when the new stuff comes out, it, it cleverly, you know, begins to, to not work as much so that we'll go buy the new stuff. It's planned obsolescence. And, and, and Dr. Estelle talks about this reality of the law, that it was given for a time. It was given for a specific purpose. And it was never designed to be this eternal thing by which we claw our ways to God. Rather, it was designed to point us to the one who was to come, who would make the way to God for us. Indeed, who would come on God's behalf, who would come as God and get us and redeem us and secure us and subdue us to himself as the good and faithful promised king. He has come. This it's what the law was designed to lead us to. This is what Paul is driving at. And then he makes this other point about the law to, that, that sets up a distinction between the, the law, the Mosaic Covenant, and the Abrahamic Covenant. And, and there is much debate over exactly what the distinction is that's being set up in verse the end of verse 19 and verse 20, but I'm going to offer what I believe is going on here. He says it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Moses being that intermediary who went up on the mountain for the people of God while they stayed down in the valley lest they be destroyed. And then when he comes back after they've seen all that's going on and the covenant is being renewed and all of these things, they, they say to him, you speak to God for us and to us for God because otherwise we would certainly die. Moses is the go-between. He's the intermediary. And then he says in verse 20, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. And this is the, the debated point. Clearly, Paul is making some distinction based on this idea of having an intermediary. He's making some distinction between the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant. But what it is exactly is, is debated. But here's what I think is happening. If we go back to how the Abrahamic covenant was made, there was no intermediary. It was God alone who passed between the pieces. He took on himself all of the obligations of the covenant. There wasn't someone bringing what God said to the people and saying, obey this and bring the people's request back to God saying, what about this? There was just God saying, here are my promises and I will keep them. In other words, there's not a second party that is responsible for obedience in the covenant that was previously ratified. It's purely a covenant of promise. Unlike the Mosaic covenant that did have this intermediary, this go-between, God speaking to the people through him and, and, and the people speaking back to God, this, this ongoing conversation, that's not how the Abrahamic covenant was. It was simply God speaking to his people, saying, this is what I will do. Not looking for our responsive obedience to come back, but just announcing, I'm going to do something. That something that he was going to do, of course, was to send his son, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, 
God in the flesh to deliver us, the offspring to whom the promises were made. And in the meantime, he gave the law because of transgressions to show us our need for a Savior, to remind us of our need for mercy, and to show us that God is, in fact, a God of mercy because he has provided this system of sacrifices by which, offered in faith, we can come and stand represented by the priest before God. But now Christ has come. Now we stand not represented by the priest. Now we stand united to God himself, united to Jesus Christ. And so there's no need for the sacrifices. There's no need for the law to function as it did in those ways for ancient Israel. Because Christ has fulfilled it. And so we can stand united to Christ by faith. Why was the law given? It was given for a time because of transgression that we might see our need for a Savior, that we might see our need for God to be merciful, that we might learn to look to Christ and call out to him in faith and receive salvation. Don't go to the law for your salvation. Don't go to the law for the way to God in the sense of obedience. Go to the law and let it drive you to Christ, the one it was given to drive us to. Amen. Thank you.